Greetings in Jesus' name. <clears throat> I come to you in the name of the Lord, and so I bring greetings and blessings from him. Turn with me to Mark chapter 9. <clears throat> be taking my text from Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. Continuing our study through the Gospel of Mark. Indeed, is a blessing, and I'm again challenged and blessed, inspired, as I think about God doing His work and bringing our service together in such a wonderful way. <clears throat> this is about the transfiguration, Jesus, Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. Mark chapter 9, beginning to read from verse 1. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto him, unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were so afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man any more, save Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen, till the Son of Man were risen from the dead." And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. And they asked him, saying, Why say the scribes that Elias must first come? And he answered and told them, Elias verily cometh first and restoreth all things, and how it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be set at naught, but I say unto you that Elias is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, as it is written of him. Now I'm going to be frankly honest with you. There's a lot of things about this passage that I don't understand. <clears throat> there are, however, a few things that I do understand. I, I feel uh, led and burdened to, to elaborate on them. Now, there's a few things, this, this is um, uh, possibly more of a teaching uh, sermon, but there's a few things that, that I'd like to look at other scriptures as well to maybe uh, help us to clarify, because as I've told you before, Mark's writing is very concise. Um, uh, he's not, he, he, he does have some detail, but, but he doesn't have a full detail like the Gospel of Matthew, or, or even Luke. <clears throat> um, and we find those, this account in 
all three of these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We find this uh, account uh, recorded. We find it in Matthew 17 and in Luke 9. Now, I would like for us to turn over to Matthew uh, 17 and look at Matthew's record of, of this account. And, and the reason I'm, I'm simply going there is because we, we really have a question about verse 1. Uh, verse 1 and, and verily he said, and he, and he said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste, de- taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Now, <clears throat> just, just keep your finger at both places. <clears throat> before, before King James wrote the scriptures or put it into a book form like this, these, these gospels and all the books were uh, page after page after page or on a long, long parchment. Um, for, our, for our benefit, it's a long, long piece of paper. If you would go over to World Missionary Press, they have this great big roll of paper. It's uh, a little bit maybe like we would see on a semi-truck going down the road and has this coil of steel on it. It has one coil of steel on that entire semi, and we think, well, that's, that's kind of wasted space. You know, why not, why not load that semi up with all them coils of steel, load that truck up so you take a full load? Well, the problem is that one coil of steel weighs so much. It, it's, it's as much as a whole load would be of other product. <clears throat> Similar to that is this great big roll of paper. When we were at uh, out in Virginia at the uh, homeschool um, training, the, we, we got to see some of that, how they, how they take this roll of paper off, the, off of this roll and goes through a machine and, and prints. And, you know, after a long series of, of, of instances, we have a book that comes out of that. Well... <clears throat> I'm just simply saying it used to not be that way. And so when they would read the scriptures, they would go to Mark chapter 8. They would read about uh, what Jesus said from verses 34 and following and read right on through verse 1. And they would come to verse 2. Now, now I find it interesting that in Matthew's gospel, we have verse 28 of chapter 16 with that account. And all, of these, all three of these Gospels record in sequence exactly how uh, we found it here in Mark. And so Jesus, back in Matthew, Jesus uh, talks about um, the, the disciples and um, the self-denial. He teaches about that in chapter 15, beginning in verse uh, uh, 24. Uh, they were at the... Um, uh, Jesus had asked the disciples who people say that he is, and he told them that he was going to suffer, and, and Peter wanted to prevent that, and, and Jesus tells Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, and so forth. And then he teaches about self-denial, and he includes verse 28 with chapter 16, makes the separation after 
today's lesson in verse 1, after verse 1, between verse 1 and verse 2. Let's just read there the distinction <clears throat> so we get it. I want to begin reading in verse uh, 24 of Matthew 16. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if she if shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall re reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, or, and I say also to you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Period. End of sentence. End of chapter. Chapter 17 now, and after six days, Jesus taketh Peter up on the mount. If you go back to Mark, flip back to Mark. I think we're done there with, with the Gospel of Matthew. <clears throat> if you go back to Mark, I want to take you back to chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus talks about, has similar words. Jesus talks about the uh, self-denial. And he says in verse 38, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Period. End of sentence. End of chapter. And then we begin today's lesson in chapter 9, verse 1. And he also said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that There be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. <clears throat> now, we're simply going to leave the differences as they are. Uh, I'm not going to tell you. Now, you should, you should take your pen and, and mark your Bible and make a line between verse 1 and 2 and write in chapter 9. Now, I'm not going to tell you that. <clears throat> I'm not even going to tell you to do that in your mind. I simply want to leave the scriptures as they are. I think there's a reason for that. <clears throat> what did Jesus mean when he said that there will be some of them standing there that shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power? Well, that's a difficult one. That's a difficult one. There's a number of ideas, and I would have, and, and I still lean this way, I, I would have understood the scriptures to mean, verse 1, Jesus meaning there to say the fullness or, or the church age and the mighty work of the apostles, the kingdom of God come with power. That's how I would, uh, would have understood it. However, in study, I discover that not everybody thinks like I do, and that's good. <clears throat> it's a possibility that he's, Jesus is foretelling the transfiguration. That's, that's possible because all of the Gospels, right after that statement, they talk about the transfiguration. Or Jesus could have been talking about his resurrection and ascension. Of course, that was a mighty power, of God, it was the kingdom of God. 
He could also be talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Of course, that was a powerful event in the kingdom of God. Also a possibility for him to talk, had to have been talking about his second coming. And it is true, uh, on the surface we could say, and I thought, well, that's a good possibility because if you go to the chapter Previous, just the verse previous to this. Right now, I wish we wouldn't have to deal with this chapter thing, but, but the verse just previous to this, Jesus says, makes this comment, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. I think Jesus was talking about the present generation. Not all, a whole lot has changed. But Jesus talking about the present generation. Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed. Jesus is going to be ashamed of that person that's going to be ashamed of him in that adulterous and sinful generation. When he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We would understand that to mean that Jesus was talking about his second coming. I stand to be corrected, but, and that's the way this whole sermon is. That's why we have tagness or, or testimony time after the message. So, so I'm, simply, I'm simply a mouthpiece for God. And if I don't say something right, if I ain't thinking right, I want to be corrected. But we understand that to mean that Jesus is talking about his second coming. And so when he comes again in the following verse and says, that, that uh, have seen the kingdom of God come with power, of course that will be a, a powerful event in the kingdom of God. And so, very well, right now we could relate to that, that yes, that maybe there's a good possibility Jesus was talking about that. But wait a minute. Let's dissect it a little bit more. Let's think about it a little bit further. What does Jesus say just previous to that? He does say that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death. Well, I believe all of those people that Jesus was talking to, and, and again, I make reference to the people back in verse 34. Jesus had been talking to the disciples specifically, and then in verse 34, the beginning of verse 34, and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them. And so all the people that Jesus was talking to, I believe today are dead, physically dead. So, I find it difficult to believe that Jesus was talking about that. And so I thought, well, now, well, what about my first idea about the church age and the mighty work of the apostles? Uh, that was certainly a powerful time in God's kingdom. I found it interesting, and I don't know had I looked at this before, but I was just... I found it interesting as I, as I uh, searched it out just a bit. It's, it's a good possibility that many, many of the disciples, if not all of the disciples, other than John, were martyred within 10 to 12 years of Jesus' ascension. Good possibility. <clears throat> And I'll tell you, my mind opened up, and, and I thought, 
You mean Jesus started the church, took, a, took some young boy fishermen, and he taught them for three years, three and a half years, and he put him into, into very, very um, bewildering experiences. Some experiences that were just extremely difficult to figure out. You see, we have the, we have the disadvantage because we, we, we know the story from beginning to end. The disciples, it was real life. And when Jesus talked to them about, about his death, his resurrection, rising again the third day, they were like scratching their heads. Rising the third day. Well, hopefully I'll come back to that. <clears throat> I find it interesting that God had a plan to take those young men, teach them for three and a half years, and Jesus put, and God puts them through these dramatic experiences. And then he takes Jesus away from them 40 days after he was resurrected. And, and not only that, but ten years later, those disciples, the apostles, are dead. Where's the church? It's just uh, its birth. It's, it's like taking a young child, and, and, and a child is just born, and, and we leave it out to take care of itself. I was like, God... Did, 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 did you think about what you're doing? And then, and then I had to slap myself on the head and sit down. Now, Paul, come on. Come on. Now, think in spiritual terms. See, we, we, think, we think in natural terms. The church, the origin... And the church and the life of the kingdom of God is not dependent on you and I. It's not even dependent on the apostles. And you may say, now wait a minute, Paul. Preacher boy, have you forgotten that the apostle wrote about that the church is founded on the apostles and the prophets? That's, that's the foundation of the church? No, no, no. Haven't forgotten about that. It is true that the apostles were key instruments in the origin of the foundation of the church of the kingdom of God. That is true. That is right. But if the, if the, church, if the church hinged on the apostles alone, we would still have apostles walking about us today. But the truth of it is, the kingdom of God is perpetual by the Holy Spirit of God. All this is God. It has nothing to do with man. Well, see, now I'm going to have to explain that statement. It has all to do about man, but really on a sense it has nothing to do about man. In other words, let's break it in practical terms. I thought of this, and I'll tell you, beloved, I'm concerned about our churches. I, I love our churches. I love God's people. And I, I, oh, we've been here 20 years. It seems like a short time. 
Many of you, uh, many of you have been here many, 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 many more years than that. Uh, some of you have even been here possibly at the very beginning of the starting of Maple Lawn here. But let's make it very practical. I know I'm going out on a limb. And if I fall, please be there to catch me. But if Maple Lawn, if the church here at Maple Lawn is dependent on Thomas, myself, or any other person, in a few short years, there will be no Maple Lawn Church. But if the Maple Lawn Church is dependent on the Spirit of God, it will be here till Jesus comes again. Do we understand the difference? And that's why I'm saying it is not the church is not dependent on any person. Too many a Christian, too many a good preacher walks around with a high head and thinks all this belongs to me. And the truth of it is I have nothing to do with it. Well, the part that I have to play with it is to be a faithful, obedient servant of the Lord. That's the part that you have to play with it. If there's going to be any church, any church left when Jesus comes again, it is going to be solely dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine as an individual. And our connection with God and our relationship with Him That's, a, that's kind of a, a rabbit trail. But I think it was well for us to hear those things. <clears throat> Some of those confusing things that the, that the disciples had to deal with and in Jesus' life and so forth. <clears throat> you see, you see I'm, quite not, I'm not quite finished yet with this thing of self-denial. I, I think maybe... Maybe sometime the Lord will just give us another message on that. <clears throat> but Jesus had talked to his disciples about going to Jerusalem, about giving his life. And they so resisted that because their life, their life was entailed with Jesus. And, and, and for, for Jesus to talk about him leaving and leaving them, them behind was just about more than these men could handle. <clears throat> and of course, Jesus broke to them the news. Now, from this point on, or, or, or chapter 8 point on, Jesus talks to them at various times about his death and suffering and, and resurrection. But Jesus uses that very thing and says, Now listen, disciples. Disciples, listen. If you want to save your life, you need to lose it. If you're going to try to save your life now, you will end up losing it. And so it'd be better for you to just lose life now and save it. That is such a contrary concept. And furthermore, disciples... If you're going to be ashamed of me in this generation, the people that you have to deal with 
I'm going to be ashamed of you before my father. And also, you're going to have, there, there's going to be some of you that are not going to see death until you see the kingdom of God come in power. Now we want to remember that it was a week's time period between verse 1 and verse 2. There was a whole week for this to soak in the disciples' mind. How much it did, I don't know. How much would it soak if would it have soaked in my mind? I don't know. And after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. And why only these? That's another, I don't know. I don't know why Jesus pulls them out. But I find it interesting that Peter, James, and John were one of the first that Jesus calls to be his disciples. He singles out those three at various miracles that Jesus did. He singles them out when he goes to up on the mountain of transfiguration, and he also singles them out when he goes to the garden alone to pray. And it seems like that Jesus singles them out in the leadership of the church. And that of the disciples, and, and so forth. <clears throat> Were they more gifted than others? I don't know. But it does seem to me that there was a manifestation given to these three apostles, these three disciples, that had not been given to the other disciples. <clears throat> these were the ones that kept record, wrote down these experiences. And, uh, of course, the other uh, disciples uh, wrote about it as well, and, uh, uh, and so forth. <clears throat> I think there's a reason. One of the, one of the reasons is, I believe, uh, in verse that, that, that was, he only singled out these three was in verse 9. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. <clears throat> In the natural sense, in the natural sense now, it's a lot easier to keep a secret quiet the fewer people know it. And of course, if a lot of people know it, it's no longer a secret. <clears throat> well, I don't know why he selected them, but he did. And... Uh, we see a number, uh, we see some interesting things happening. Jesus is transfigured, and that simply means that Jesus' countenance was changed. He was in a body, in a body, body form. I have to think about the apostle when he writes about uh, the celestial um, and terrestrial bodies, the mortal and, immort the, the mortal and immortal I, I just somehow believe that Jesus in his flesh and blood was on, as an earthly body was transfigured as his heavenly body and similar experiences that you and I will experience when we see the Lord. 
white, white as snow, exceeding white as snow. Uh, this last snowstorm we had, uh, snowstorm, well, last amount of snow that we had so a few weeks or so ago, uh, I was out shoveling the drive, and I took special note of the whiteness of the snow. And, of course, the sun was shining as well. And, and it is so, so bright. It, it's, there's really no whiteness that can be compared to the whiteness of snow, especially when the sun shines on it and that reflection. <clears throat> That's how Jesus' raiment was. And um, appeared with him Elias and Moses, and they were talking. Now, if we read in the Gospel of Mark, we, we've, we, if we only read there, we think that, that there was one experience just right after another, just bang, 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 and this took about five minutes to do it in the amount of time it takes us to read it. But that's really not the case. If we look at the other Gospels, and especially the Gospel of Luke, it's a good possibility that they went up one evening and came back the next morning. It's a good possibility that it was an all-night experience. And Luke records that the disciples were drowsy and were sleepy. And when they awoke, they seen Jesus talking to Elijah and Moses. And what were they talking about? It says there that they were, ta that they were talking about Jesus suffering his death in Jerusalem and his resurrection. And the disciples uh, very well could have been awakened by their presence and the transfiguration of Jesus and their discussion and so forth. It was all an act of God, okay? I'm just, just getting us to think. <clears throat> but Jesus, why I wondered, I wondered why... What did Jesus have Elijah and Moses there and talking with them and so forth? They talked about his death, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. What did that have to do pertaining with Elijah and Moses? Were they simply pillars, patriarchs of the past that came to Jesus and ministered to him in this time of need? Uh, I don't know that I fully understand the, the, the implications of Moses and Elijah being with Jesus there and their discussion and so forth. Uh, by the way, I'll get, just give you that reference. I'm not going to take time to go there and read that, but Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36, he talks about the transfiguration and he, and he, 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 uh, he tells the story uh, those few things that I alluded to there. <clears throat> the transfiguration revealed Christ's divine nature. God's voice elevated Jesus above Moses and Elijah as the long-awaited Messiah with full divine authority. Moses represented the law Moses was the lawgiver in the Old Testament. We could go back to the Exodus experience when Moses was up on the mountain, God gave him the laws. And Elijah is the representative of, of, as the prophets 
or, or Moses represented the law and Elijah represented the prophets. Again, we talked about Enoch in the Sunday school lesson. But Elijah was also one of those men that God took. Elijah did not face the gate of death. But Elijah was taken by a whirlwind, for lack of a better term. The Bible talks about that. And on a horse, horses and chariot of fire, uh, God came and took Elijah away. Elijah is the central, uh, how could I say, figure of the prophets. Their appearance showed Jesus showed Jesus as the fulfillment of both the Old Testament law and the prophetic promises. Jesus is supreme. That's the whole idea, that Jesus is supreme. And Moses as a representative of the Old Testament law and Elijah as a representative of the, of the promises of the prophets in Jesus himself. Jesus is supreme. And God, I believe, wanted to make an indelible impression on these disciples that all the law in the past, all the prophecies and the promises about Jesus are fulfilled now in Him. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law and prophets. And the voice says... This time, the second time that the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son. What did he say at the first time? I'm assuming that we're all Bible scholars and we know what I'm talking about. At Jesus' baptism, Jesus, the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Some of you lipped that. Yes, you're right on. In whom I am well pleased. And now he says again on the Mount of Transfiguration, the heavenly voice says, This is my beloved son, hear him. Gospel of Matthew says, hear ye him. Uh, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter, um, I'm sorry, 2 Peter, 2 Peter 4. The Apostle Peter writes about this experience. 2 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 through 19. For we have received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. He's talking about that glorious experience and from the excellent glory he's talking about the heavenly voice that, that, that they heard. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Also, he makes reference to his baptism and to the, to the mount of figuration. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. I want, I, want to make this, I want to make this very, very clear. Because the focal point, the focal um, um, emphasis is on Jesus when this voice said hear ye him hear him Peter says in verse 19 we have also a more sure word of prophecy not Elijah Elijah did a great job because he relayed the, the word of God 
He prophesied the word that God had given to him. It's not discrediting Elijah at all. But Peter says we have a more, worse, a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Um, um, See, where did I get that? Yes, Hebrews chapter 1. God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, and so on. Peter says we have a more sure word of prophecy. Was Elijah wrong? No, he's right on. Always was. All the prophets, the, 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 the prophets of God were right on. They had a sure word. But Peter is saying we have more sure word. I'm telling us, beloved, I'm telling us, beloved, we better take a hold of the scriptures of the word of God and embrace them to our hearts like we have never, ever done before because we will have no other revelation other than the word of God. Don't go seeking some other voice. Don't go looking some other way. Jesus told his disciples, the, if, the, if they say that Jesus is out there, pay no attention to him. Right here it is. What I say to you is not my words, but the words of the Father. And the heavenly voice said to the disciples, This is my beloved Son, hear ye Him. Pay no attention to anything else. And beloved, beloved, in a world like ours today, are we going to take the Scriptures and make them a rule and guide of our lives? Make them... Take it to our hearts. There is no other revelation. There is no other word. This is the word of God. Manifested to us through his son. There is nothing else. Why do we go search for something else? It's all right here. So what the law could not do, and Moses wasn't wrong, Moses gave to the children of Israel that which God gave to him in the mount. But what the law could not do, Jesus could do. What, what, the, prophets, what the prophets were not able to experience in the promises, in the foreknowledge that they gave by the word of God, we are able to experience in Jesus Christ. Now, now we, ought to, we ought to get up and jump and say, Hallelujah, praise God! Because Jesus is the one in the fulfillment of all those things past. Beloved, beloved, I, I, I'm just... When I think about our history, and I hear comments about... Uh, why our forefathers believed in the New Testament. This is exactly why. This is exactly why. Jesus, or God says, 
about Jesus. This is my beloved Son. Hear ye Him. This is why the, our Anabaptist forefathers, and even forget our Anabaptist forefathers, that's why you and I today believe in the New Testament. We put emphasis on the New Testament. We do not believe in a flat Bible. Why is that? Because, because when, when in the Old Testament, Jesus said, Jesus told his disciples, in the Old Testament it used to be, in, this, in the old times it used to be an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, if a man strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. That, that's why we live a non-resistant life. That's why we don't go to war. And, and, and I know my subject isn't non-resistance. And that'll probably come. But, but, but let me ask you the question. Is non-resistance, uh, non-resistant life, is that only not going to war and fight for the nation of, of the United States or some other country? No. No, let me tell you some brazen fact here. And that is... That, that, that the life of non-resistance has to do with our relationships among us as brothers and sisters right here sitting in these pews. Right here together. If we relate together in non-resistance, the spirit of non-resistance has to do with that. And unless, unless you and I, unless you and I are non-resistant in our everyday walk of life, in dealing with our families, our churches, our neighbors, our, the workplace, and so forth, we will come to the place where we will actually take up arms and fight in war. Oh, you're, you're going over the edge. Well, I'm about. No. No, I'm not very old, but I'm old enough to know. And I've looked back in some people's histories. And I'm old enough to know that it only takes a little step here and a little step there and a little step there and a little step there and finally you're over here and you're fighting in war and you would say, I never, never, ever dreamt that I would ever get to that place when I was a young boy over here. That's how that happens. So beloved, we must learn a non-resistant life here and now in the relationships that we have now. Now am I, am I saying anything other than what I'm saying? No. I'm saying exactly what you heard me say. <clears throat> As Jesus talked to his disciples, he said, I'm speaking to you in plain terms. That's what I'm saying. We must live out. Gee, look, look, I just told you we're not looking for anything else. The scriptures are relevant for our everyday walk of life today, here and now, in this, in this generation. Don't go seeking for some other scriptures. And so when Jesus calls us to turn the other cheek when someone smites us on the right cheek, then let's do it. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I think we understand that. I think we understand that well. <clears throat> I think there was a reason that Jesus didn't want them to Broadcast what they had seen because I think there was, a, there was yet a fulfilling of the revelation to come. And um, there was something in the disciples, I believe. Well, there was a reason that, that the Holy Spirit come and gave the disciples a greater understanding. And um, you and I, you and I will not understand the things of the Scriptures apart from the Holy Spirit. 
We must have that. That's some of the work of the Holy Spirit. And I trust that we'll also get to that subject as well. The disciples had something to question Jesus about, though. They said, Jesus, we just seen Elijah. He was with you there. And the scribes are saying that Elijah has to come. Did he come? Is he coming? What do you say about that? Why say the scribes that Elias must first come? Verse 11. And verse 12, he answered and told them, Elias verily cometh first and restoreth all things, and how it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be set at naught. But I say unto you that Elias is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed as is written of him. Now, it's pretty clear to us, I think, that Jesus here is talking about John the Baptist. And I don't know is, is kind of the way prophecy is. And I, I um, am blessed that Thomas undertook the challenge to preach from the prophets. Uh, it's a little bit the way prof- prophetic scriptures are, just a hint of darkness maybe to them. Well, let's go back to Malachi Malachi 4, when he talks about this experience or this Elijah coming. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, writings and a lot of thoughts that we could share about this. But I'm simply going to leave this for sake of time. I'm just going to, just going to zero in here and, and try to close here in a timely manner. Uh, Malachi 4, verse 4, 5, and 6. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I send unto you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse." We have there, it's interesting, that Malachi prophesies about Moses and Elijah and that we have them with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So I think to answer the question, at least in my mind, that Elijah did appear to the disciples and the fulfillment of the prophecy was fulfilled in John the Baptist. And it seems that Jesus makes that clear to the disciples. He also talks about, he also inserts there in his answering their question about the Son of Man and the things that he must suffer and to be said at naught. And, And I just find that interesting that Jesus uses every opportunity to, to, Prepare his disciples for his suffering and his death. <clears throat> Elias did come. Let me just, let me just uh, sum this passage up and then we'll close. Here is a prediction of the near approach, Christ's kingdom. A glimpse of that kingdom was given in the transfiguration of Christ. It is, a good, it is good to be away from the world and alone with Christ 
and how good to be with Christ glorified in heaven with all the saints. But when it is well, but when it is well with us, we are apt not to care for others. And in the fullness of our enjoyments, we forget that the many wants of our brethren. God owns Jesus and accepts him as his beloved son and is ready to accept us in him. Therefore, we must own and accept him as our beloved savior and must give up ourselves to be ruled by him. Christ does not leave the soul. When joys and comforts leave it, Jesus explained to the disciples the prophecy about Elias. And uh, that, that prophecy very well could have been and, and was fulfilled in that of John the Baptist. May we find the blessing and the nearness of God as we walk with him. We may not experience, as the disciples did, those mountaintop experiences and of Jesus being transfigured and so forth. But I trust the day will come when we will see glories, glories far, far, far above that. Let us kneel together to pray. Our gracious and loving eternal Father, we thank you again for the exposure to your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the faithfulness of the apostles. They wrote to us and kept the record of the experiences and the words of Jesus. Father, we may learn to live as his disciples and walk with him. Father, I just pray that you would give us a greater understanding of your scriptures and uh, help us to uh, not only hear and to understand, but that uh, it may permeate our lives in such a way that we can walk with thee in holiness. We pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen.